Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Today we're going to take a look at John chapter 9. John chapter 9, and we will begin our reading in verse 1. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And I will go ahead and tell you, we'll read the whole passage. We're in John now, so the stories are long. The verses are kind of short, so it won't take us real long to get through it, but we need to listen carefully. In Mark's Gospel, he has Jesus on the move just about all the time. Uthus is a Greek word that we translate as immediately. And immediately Jesus went here, and immediately this happened, and immediately that happened. It occurs 50-something times in the Gospel of Mark. He has Jesus on the move. No long stories, no times uh, spending with a woman at the well for a lengthy period of time. And certainly no story as long as this one in John 9. But this story is absolutely one of the most interesting in all of Scripture. And as you know, we're going to talk about it more in a little bit, but we're part of a project to get the Bible translated and starting with the Gospel of John into the language of the Connie people. So here's something the Connie people are going to need to know. They're going to need to know about this story in John chapter 9. And you and I need to know about it as well. Let's read together in verse 1. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. He is in Jerusalem. Uh, He has been there for one of the festivals. It says, and the disciples asked him, they're back now. Uh, If you'd been reading through here, Uh, You would not have heard from them since chapter 7, but they're back with him now. And they ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. John is writing to Greek listeners. They won't understand some of these words like the listeners possibly of Matthew's gospel. So quite often he will translate for us. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, well, this is he. Still others were saying, no, But he is like him. He kept saying, though, I am the one. So they were saying to him, well, then how then were your eyes open? And he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay 
and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I, I do not know. And they brought the Pharisees, or brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. They, they were the ones that oversaw all the religious goings on. We've got to get this figured out. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, well, he is a prophet. And the Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. See, they knew they had a man standing there that could see. Their only hope to disprove it is to prove that it was a different person. So they're going all out to do that. And question him, and question them, saying, his parents, is this your son, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that our son, that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. The Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Just a pause there. Give glory to God was a swearing in, uh, Brother Steve. Uh, if you go back to Joshua 7, I believe it is, when Achan was being confronted about his sin, he was told before his confession, Give glory to God. Give God the glory. That means you better speak the truth. You're making an oath before God. And they use the same pattern here. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, I love this, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? And they reviled him and said, you're his disciple. But we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. 
Verse 31, well, we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does His will, He hears Him. And since the beginning of time, He said, it's never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, He could do nothing. They answered Him, said, you were born entirely in your sins. And are you teaching us? So they put Him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see. And that those who see, think they see, think they know, think they have it figured out so that they may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We're not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains powerful miracle oddly enough the word miracle doesn't occur in the gospel of john anywhere in the other gospels they the word occurs fairly often but john has chosen a different descriptor for what takes place here he calls it a sign a semion these signs, that's important that we see them because in John's gospel, all of these things, like any other sign, they're pointing to something greater than the actual event. It would almost be like you were headed to Disney World and the first time you got to a sign, say a hundred miles away, that said Disney World, you got over on the side of the road and pulled out the picnic basket and settled in for the day. That would be ridiculous. It's a sign. It's not the real thing. It's pointing to something on down the road that is real. So, yes, this was an awesome miracle. But when we get to the end of the story, Jesus reveals that there's a lot more going on here than just a blind man who's receiving his sight. We know that John is also the author of the Revelation, and we know that he is really intense about symbolism. So guess how many signs there are? There's seven of them. The first one was changing the water into wine in John 2, healing the royal official's son in John 4, healing the paralytic at the pool in John 5, feeding the 5,000 in John 6, walking on the water in John 6, healing this man in John 9, and later for the seventh one, he will raise Lazarus from the dead. Now this story is incredible, and I do think it's humorous in a joyful kind of way, because there's this simplicity of a guy who says, I was blind, now I see. And that's all I know to tell you. And then over here you have the disciples. Now immediately when the disciples saw the man, like us sometimes, instead of seeing this as an opportunity for the demonstration of the power of God, they saw it as an opportunity to get in a theological dissertation. And they said, Lord, is it this man's sin or the sin of his parents that would cause him 
to be born blind. Now that should strike a note with you. How in the world could this man have sinned before he was born that would cause him to be born blind? But you got to realize something. The Jewish people had so complicated this business of keeping the commandments of God. Remember, they started with 10. By the time the New Testament opens, there's 613 commandments. And they not only had the Old Testament, they now have the Mishnah and they have two Talmuds to help explain all of these different laws. And, and they've discovered here that Jesus has broken some of the laws that they have in those books. And it is so complicated at this point. So the disciples are asking a legitimate question, even though it may sound crazy to us. And Jesus said it was not his sin and it wasn't his parents' sin. But this was done so that God could be glorified. And boy, what a beautiful glorification of God it was. I want to share with you today some difficulties of divine deliverance. Who knew that after God delivers you, and who knew that after God transforms your life and does the most wonderful thing in the world that you get invited to the synagogue three or four times in the same day. He hadn't been invited to church that much in his entire life. And now the neighbors are all out there. Boy, the neighbors got to talking. Then the Pharisees got to talking. And they all got together. And they're all asking the wrong question. They're all asking how. I forgot how many times I had counted them. That someone in this passage said, how did this happen? The question is, who did it that made it happen? That's what is important. That's what he keeps pointing to, but they will not. Listen, there's some problems that can happen when God delivers you. First of all, let's look at them. There are three of them. One, there's some curiosity you may affect. Some curiosity you liable to stir up a bit. First of all, because the method of his healing was so unusual. In verse 6 and 7, Jesus spat on the ground. He made clay, put it together, put it in the man's eyes. And told him to go and wash. That's, that's odd. Usually putting mud in somebody's eye will cause blindness. But when Jesus is the one making the clay, and Jesus is the one applying it, then Jesus can make the clay do whatever he wants it to. Matter of fact, one other miracle Jesus uses spit to, to help effect, and that is when he puts his fingers in the ears of a man who's deaf and stammering. But he usually changes the method up almost every time he heals somebody. He will do it differently. And I can't help but believe that is to keep people from thinking that, well, there's something special about this clay. Or there's something special about spit. Or there's something that's really unique about whatever object Jesus would have used. So he will change it up every time. And he lets us know it is not the object. It is it, it's the fact that the object is in my hand. And if it is in my hand, then I can do some awesome things with it. The method was really unusual. One, because it was simple. We'll look at that. Spit and dirt. How, how much more simple can you get? I'm so glad Brother W.D.'s here. He used to be a part of a musical group. A lot of y'all might not remember them. But they were called spit and dirt. How many of you remember spit and dirt? Yeah. 
we had a group of us guys that got together and we went and did some things with hearts with hands for different people. And this really kind of brought a collapse to the whole program. We decided we won't sing. Not many of us could sing, but we had Terry Skidmore on the guitar. W.D. went round up, uh, he, he found a big doghouse bass. And I played it, and buddy, I mean, we would let her rip. And our name was Spittin' Dirt, and it came from this passage. Because we believe that God could use simple things, like a bunch of old guys singing off key, and, and it was something to behold. But we believe God could use that to open the eyes of the blind. So spit and dirt, we got booked there for a while. We had places to go. We had a schedule. We were thinking about buying a bus. I think spit and dirt's a great name for a church. God can take simple, simple things. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, God made this entire man's body out of dirt. He made us out of apar is the Hebrew word. It means clod. So uh, women, I would say this to you, be a little bit patient with us because we started out as just, some, uh, just an old clod. That's what we were. We were clods of earth. God made the whole human body out of clods of earth. So he can take something simple like that and open the eyes of the blind. Here is the message Here's your sign. Here's where it's pointing to. God can take you and open the eyes of the blind. And you might feel like you're simple or uneducated or ill-equipped or whatever or shy or all of those things. I can tell you right now, I don't care how ordinary you are, you are not any more ordinary than spit and dirt. we got plenty of that in this world. But in the hands of God, He can do something awesome with you. It was simple. It was also submissive clay in the master's hands, not, not, not a rock. We talked about that recently. You don't come to God as a rock and say, here I am. You've got to fit me in somewhere. When I used to do rock masonry, I, I would have to find a place for every stone. And somehow or another, uh, you look long enough, you find a rock that will fit in every one of those places. And you finally get them all on the wall. But that's the thing. The rock's not going to change shape. Uh, you got to find a place that will f fit that particular shape. God's not looking for rocks. He's looking for clay. He's looking for something that he can mold, something that he can knead, and something that he can flex and twist and turn and make it into whatever he wants it to be, something submissive to the will of his hand. You may affect some curiosity because the method is unusual. Secondly, because a miracle is undeniable. We'll just say this and move on. But it says in verse 7, he came see. I mean, that's, that's the proof in the pudding, buddy. He came see. This man had been born blind. He was never seen anything in his life. And I can't imagine the Pharisees getting on his nerves too much. Could you imagine them trying to draw him into some theological conversations and he's hearing a bird and he's going, I've never saw those, I've heard them all my life. I'm seeing the sun, I'm seeing the clouds, I'm seeing the world that God made, I'm seeing people, I'm seeing my family for the very first time and you call me in for a deacon's meeting? 
Are you kidding me? It says he came forth seeing. It was an undeniable testimony. And let me just say this before we move on. Nobody was saying, well, now whether he could see or not, whether he had really been transformed, that's between him and God. Nobody knows but him and the Lord. Oh, no. You can take one look at him until he was taking one look at you. It was undeniable. It wasn't one of those quiet, well, you know, we, we don't know if he really came seeing or not. That's between him and God. We love saying that. We find a lot of comforts in ignorance. We find a lot of comfort in doubt. We love to say that, well, no one really knows if that person's been transformed or not. You know, people react different ways, blah, blah, blah. The list goes on and on. I will say right here and now, once a person has been transformed by the power of God, there will be no doubt, there will be no skepticism about it. That life is changed forever and visibly changed forever. Yeah. That sounded like I hit a putt. A little light on the clap. That's all right. I'll take it. The curiosity you might stir up, you might affect. Secondly, the criticism you may experience. Number one, it might involve your past. In verse 34, they looked at him and says, you are born entirely in your sins. You're born in your sins. And because they believe that's why he was born blind. And then they look, ask him in verse 34, same verse, are you teaching us? So they put him out of the synagogue. Man, I'm going to tell you what. Jesus saw something totally different than anybody else when he first saw this man. A great lesson for us. The disciples were moved to think about a theological riddle. Jesus was moved by compassion. The disciples themselves saw an opportunity for some analysis here. Jesus saw an opportunity for a miracle. And the disciples chose to be the role of judge. But Jesus chose the role of judge of healer and I will just say this before we move on yes they could look at him and yes they could say you were born in your sins but he could look back at them and say I was but I won't die in my sins because I've met Jesus Christ and he is my savior oh it hadn't happened yet but it's about to it may involve your past it might involve your profession your testimony when you share it. it says in verse 24 says for a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him give glory to God they're swearing him in here we know that this man is a sinner and he answered whether he is a sinner I do not know one thing I do know though I was blind now I see man I want to tell you something they were all upset because Jesus had broken some of their laws. He broke three laws. It's hard for me to keep up with them all. But one, making clay, that was against their law, okay? Uh, putting it on the man's eyes on the Sabbath, that was against their law. And then actually healing the man. I did find somewhere, felt like an attorney. 
I found somewhere where that if you actually didn't touch the person or make any physical move toward them, you could heal someone on the Sabbath and get away with it. Now, here's a bunch of knuckleheads making these laws that couldn't heal anybody. And yet they're holding Jesus' feet to the fire. You know, they remind me of a lot of people that you and I probably have met. They call themselves conservatives, and theologically, I'm right there, I am one. But if you're not careful, you go from being conservative to preservative. You just start preserving stuff that really doesn't make any difference at all. Churches have trees they can't cut down, walls they can't paint, buildings they can't move so they can add on all kinds of ridiculous ideas that they have preserved. Nothing about it gives any honor and glory to God. No blind eyes are opened by any of that. And look at these Pharisees and look at the neighbors. I mean, they're like, boy, they don't even care that an awesome miracle has taken place. And so after that, they put him out of the synagogue. Let's go to our last point. The curiosity you may affect. I'd warn you, when you get right with God, there's some criticism you may experience. And thirdly, there is some confusion you just may explain. Number one, you might explain the mission of Jesus. Why did he come? And Jesus says in verse 39, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some people are never going to see because they already think they can. They already think they're there. They, they, they already are thinking in their mind that they've got everything that they need, that they're faithful to church or whatever, or they're a religious person, or they do everybody right, or they have lived a decent life, or whatever it might be. They're dependent on a whole lot of things other than Jesus. You have to let Jesus knock you blind. And I'll give you a great example. One he had to hit pretty hard was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was so hard-headed and so self-sufficient and so self-assured, he was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians who were disagreeing with his point of view. He was that sold on his own ideas until he met Jesus. And after meeting Jesus, he couldn't even find Damascus without some help. God put him on the ground. I wished it wasn't this way always. It's not always. I wished it didn't have to be this way, but for some of us, he has to knock us down. I think about today, and I hadn't even planned on saying this, but man, February the 13th, 1980 was a Wednesday. My dad had just left the house to go to church. I normally wasn't even at that house. I lived all kind of different places. But I had come home that night because I was in so much trouble, I didn't know where to go. I was fairly certain I was headed to jail, but I didn't know. 
I had some folks after me and I didn't even know who all they were. I had a handgun I didn't carry with me everywhere, but I got it that night. You got to realize something. I'm 19 years old, just about to turn 20. I got that handgun out that night, and I, I can just tell you, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but I was so afraid of what might happen to me. I didn't get it out to shoot somebody else. I thought if I can muster up the strength, I'm going to shoot me. My daddy went out the door that night, had no idea what was going on. I had draped some clothes over the gun. He went on out the door, and I started out after he left. There was an old big oak tree down there, and Mr. Clyde Young, you don't know him, but he lived next door to us. There was a big oak tree down there in his woods. I knew exactly where it was, and I done decided I'm going to go down there and sit down and see if I can end this mess. Scared to death. Man. Before I went out the door, though, there was an old black naugahyde chair. You ever had one of those? I'd kill these little nagas and skin them and make chairs out of them. And pinto automobiles. I got on my knees at that old chair, and I couldn't even say anything to start with. All I could do was just cry. And I didn't see a light or hear anything, but there was something that happened right in here. I'm telling you, I wasn't looking to fabricate some emotional experience. But I began to cry out to God. And God gave me a peace in my heart that he hadn't forgotten me and that he loved me and that he would save me if I let him. Boy, I want to tell you something, friend. I couldn't find myself with both hands that night. I was not blind. My life was changed forever. And when I look back on it now and all that God has done, whew, man, that is so awesome. So awesome what God can do. So incredible. Last of all, the message of Jesus. You might clear up that as well. What was Jesus' message? Verse 41, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Your, the message of Jesus is I'm the only one that can save you. The only one that can save you. I, I, I think this is at least worth mentioning as we close. If you follow the progression that this man is having with Jesus, he starts out, he calls Jesus a man. Later, he will call Jesus a prophet. But in the end, when he finally figures out his message and his mission, he refers to him as the Son of God. He didn't get it quite at first, but he got it. I hope when the Connie people hear this gospel and they get right with God, I, I know they live in a world much different than ours. 
there'll be a lot of opportunity for persecution. People won't believe it. Some of them, no doubt, will die for their faith. And people won't understand how they could possibly do that. It's what happens when God gets a hold of you. I bet you there's some of you sitting here right now. You could stand up, couldn't you? And you could say, man, I'm going to tell you, when I got saved, it scared people. You scared anybody when you got saved? Maybe you came home that night and didn't kick the dog or cuss your wife and she thought, good Lord, he is drunk tonight. Maybe when you went to work the next day, they wanted to know what you did with so-and-so because you're not him. It's incredible what God can do in your life. And it's not always that dramatic, but I can tell you, it's always that transformational. You are changed forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for opening our eyes that we could see. We thank you, God, for that blessed gospel that we have, Lord, that we can share with others. We were so lost and so undone. And, Lord, there are people in this world that feel like that they're hopeless, God. They're hopeless. They'd rather die than live. They're more afraid of life than they are death. And Lord, I know that there's some that are born again. Some of your children, God, maybe some sitting here this morning, they just feel too simple, too plain, too uneducated, too too unimpressive, God, to, to feel like they could ever do anything. But I pray, Lord, that you would help every one of us to be reminded this morning, God, that if we'll put ourselves in your hand, you can do with us what you did with a ball of dirt and some spit. You can change the world for somebody. Help us, Lord, to be willing to be needed in your hands, squeezed and molded, twisted and turned and reshaped so you can use us to do something awesome in somebody's life, God. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.